This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Namai, hari mai, kia ora Good afternoon to you, Free FM 89.0, it's 20 to 1 on a very miserable wet Sunday on January 29, anniversary weekend. Yes, and uh, just a note here, and this is my own thoughts, yeah, Auckland, if you're listening in Auckland right at this moment... We, I feel sorry for you, how you were treated by your mayor. Yep, he was late. He was missing in action, etc., etc. You've just got to read the papers this morning. Where was he? And I've heard some of his stuff this morning, some of his news bites. Yep, no, he was A-W-O-L. So, yeah, we're in a wet weekend. It's blowing a gale out there, so don't go out this afternoon. Hello to Emma and uh, her partner, whom I talked to last night. Welcome to the show, and also welcome to anybody around the world listening to us at AM, PM, (laughs) wherever you are at this present moment. Well, it is January 29, 2023. It is... Day 29 is 356 to go. And underneath us, we've got ABBA Dancing Queen. It was number one in New Zealand this day in 1976. Well, on this day in 1980, 43 years ago today, the British Toy and Hobby Fair, Earls Court London, sees the debut of the Rubik's Cube. Invented by Hungarian professor of architecture Enio Rubik. Rubik licenses puzzle <coughs> to Pentangle Puzzles London in 1978 after its original invention in 1974. As of 2009, and a good trick this afternoon, if you've got a Rubik's Cube somewhere at home, get it out because there's no place to go this afternoon. Don't go out, stay at home, listen to us and... Anything else this afternoon? As of 2009, 350, cu- 350 million cubes have been sold. And from 1980, this is Billy Joel. And it's still rock and roll to me. Get the Rubik's Cube out this afternoon. What's the matter with the clothes I'm wearing? Can't you tell that your tie's too wide? Maybe I should buy some old tab collars Welcome back to the age of jive Where have you been hiding out lately, honey? You can't dress as flashy till you spend a lot of money Everybody's talking about the new sound Funny, but it's still rock and roll to me What's the matter with the car I'm driving? Can't you tell that it's out of style? Should I get a set of white wall tires? Are you gonna cruise the Miracle Mile? Nowadays you can't be too sentimental. Your best bet's true, baby, blue continental. Hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, still rock and roll to me. Oh, 
you just give it half a chance. Don't waste your money on a new set of speakers. You get more mileage from a cheap pair of sneakers. FM 89, had to get that in, Free FM 89.0, Independent Community Media, good afternoon, Cosmopolitan News and Views, Billy Joel, it's still rock and roll to me. Well, 1945, 77 years ago today, Thomas William Selleck, Detroit, Michigan, debuted on the television show in America called... Um, what was it called? Oh, it was an American date show, anyway. 1965, The Dating Game, that's it. The Dating Game. Around the uh, time of um, Magnum P.I., um, Selleck had made around six pilots that never got to air. Magnum P.I., 1980-88. Remember Higgins? There was Rick. Um, there was a helicopter pilot whom I forget. And on screen since 2010, he's playing the police chief in the television series Blue Bloods.
Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. That is, of course, Magnum PI. That is the Countdown Orchestra. Well, more heavy rain uh, for Auckland uh, today and tomorrow. And the Waikato can expect rain also. It is raining outside at the moment and a bit of a breeze as we watch the all the trees outside our studio window um, bl- blow as they do. Uh, a rain watch... Uh, was in place for Auckland from 6am today to midnight. Um, we don't know what it's like on the Coromandel Peninsula today. We haven't heard anything out, but basically Auckland is underwater. Well, parts of it, the airport, of course, the overseas and the domestic terminal, underwater. Boy, and a lot of rain and uh, the performance of the Auckland Mayor not declaring a state of emergency I just have to question, what would Paula Southgate and her position as Mayor of Hamilton do? Would she wait or does she take advice? It's, it's interesting because um, at this time of the year, um, we've got a river flowing through. And I was talking to a, fi- a, a fireman on because they had an emergency outside the BNZ on Friday night. He said um, he's not, they're not going to Auckland, but they've got a river flowing through the city. And, of course... Um, We've got a few dams along the river too. Uh, sorry, at Lake Karapiro, which is the nearest to Hamilton. Good afternoon, Mel. Good afternoon. It's a wet, a wet day. It sure is. But, you know, these emergencies do arise. They can happen in different ways. Some unfold quickly, others more slowly. Now, I was just refreshing what happened in the speech of the headmaster yes. at St. Paul's Collegiate School to the senior prize-giving this year, Ben Skeen. And he was recalling how 12 months ago the annual prize-giving at the school was held in this sacred Whare Karakia, the Chapel of Christ the King, without the presence of students, staff and the wider St. Paul's Whānau. He says, I vividly recall counting less than 10 individuals in the space at any one time on that particular morning. Now that was with alert level 3 restrictions governing the transmission of the virus, COVID-19. And uh, then it led on to these sorts of complications that can't easily be planned for. Who expected it? On the 24th of January... That's just over a year ago. The young women and associated pastoral staff boarded buses and embarked on a journey to the Tihoi Venture School that's associated with St. Paul's Collegiate to participate in the Girls' Camp program. Fast forward seven days and a number of our students, Ben Skeen recalled, both male and female, through no deliberate fault of their own, had tested positive for COVID-19 as the virus had become well and truly present throughout the Waikato and in excess of 200 St. Paul's families found themselves homebound in isolation for 10 days in accord with the Ministry of Health's decision to categorise all camp participants as close contacts in turn requiring each of their respective household members to adhere to the same conditions of isolation. So that's an example, really, of the emergency that could not be foreseen unfolding so dramatically when so many were taken with the virus at the same time. Well, 
Another another point too is our friend of the show, Stephen King, whom you've heard many times on this radio station. He is said the city is desperate for a rehab centre. Um, desperate times are here and rehab beds need to come home to the Waikato, a leader in the addictions field says. Stephen King, Executive Director of Hamilton's Alcohol and Drug Community Trust, which runs a 30-bed support facility knowing, known as Manning Street, he's pushing for a new residential rehab centre in Hamilton. He says there's been a surge in addiction-related problems in Waikato and well, Western Bay of Plenty and a Waikato facility would mean people wouldn't have to travel to Auckland and their families would be more involved in their recovery. Maybe we'll have to keep this article and get Stephen in here to explain and also explain that we've had some, you know, these summertime pop festivals and people are asked to come along and get their drugs tested. It shouldn't happen. Drugs should not be part of these rock festivals. I think at Rhythm and Vines, wasn't there a couple of deaths? No, it, it shouldn't happen. Nobody should be taking drugs to these, um, to these festivals. Hopefully we'll speak to Stephen King within weeks here at Free FM. What should I write? What can I say? FM 89.0, independent community media. That song is prophetic for today. It might as well rain until September, hopefully not. Um, just another note here that um, 
the rain was caused by a slow-moving low pressure. And uh, over the next few days, you'll see all the weather experts out and about. But it is not very nice out there. And all the rock concerts been canned. Elton John was canned on Saturday night. Others were. So just stay indoors. Don't go out. And when the weather subsides, or the rain subsides, I should say, and uh, the puddles have gone... What it leaves is the detritus, I think is the word, the, the debris that's left, ugly as it is, unavoidably caught up in the gratings. Or is it avoidable? One of us in this city, Arthur Gifney, is conscious of what we do as a nation in our cities, our habitation, and even outside in the country when people dump it. Rubbish, litter, Arthur, it sort of seized your imagination because you knew it was almost all unnecessary, litter in general. Yes, good afternoon, uh, Melvin and Bruce. Um, actually, this, the water, the stormwater is very much part of the problem and that it's just swept it all into the river, you know. And you wander around the streets now and the streets all look nice and clear and clean, but the reality is it's all gone somewhere and that's really the key issue. Yep. And not so much the rubbish, it's the litter that gets me. I mean, there's a, in my mind, there's a difference between people who dump stuff, you know, like bags and other sorts of things and places like over the fence. And then there are people who just wander aimlessly along the streets just, you know, shelling out the drink cans and the bottles and all sorts of other stuff. So there's a difference. Arthur, I could tell you tomorrow where I live in, in, uh, in Hillcrest, it's rubbish day. And you put your bins out in various forms. The rubbish truck comes along, picks up the bins and leaves half the rubbish behind on the roads. You probably notice that as you travel around the city. Um, I, I, I don't tend to agree with you so much there, I'm sorry. I, I think the bins have actually been a great help to stopping that problem. Certainly, uh, we no longer see the issue of dogs ripping you know, paper, paper bags and things apart. So I think, to a large extent, the uh, wheelie bins have assisted but um, one of the things I do on rubbish day is when I put my rubbish out, I take out my bag and I walk the street up and down for a few a hundred metres or so each way and I pick up all the rubbish on the street. And I'm sure if everybody did that, we would all have a much lesser problem to deal with. Sadly, I don't know when the drains are cleared in the city, whether it's part of the infrastructure plan in the city with the city council and et cetera, et cetera. But I notice every once in a while and I... Notice that the Wintec wall, which is not far from where we're sitting, it uh, the road floods there because I don't think uh, I don't think the drains at the Wintec wall are cleared very often, and uh, of course you get flooding there. Uh, I, th I think flooding is a, a related issue, but it it's not it's not the key issue really for me. It's the litter getting into the street and the issue of plastics in the environment. But there is that whole suite of I don't think the council does enough. To clear yeah. the stormwater grates. I agree with you yeah. on that much. Yeah. And another problem with rubbish, of course, is on Friday and Saturday nights, it's party night in the city. People go to the bars and you walk into town and there are bottles and cans lying all over the place. Do you still pick up cans and bottles on your way? Uh, I don't go into town. <laughs> but And certainly the CBD has a completely different 
uh, litter pickup regime to the streets and the outlying arterial roads and things. So I don't think the CBD pro- problem in any way represents what's happening out in the in the suburbs around the shopping centres, you know, in your local neighbourhood shopping centre. And along those roads, particularly uh, children going to and from school is one of the, my bugbears. Um, so I think, I think it's much more widespread than the CBD. Children? But children were supposed to be tidy Kiwis by now. <laughs> that was the publicity. Oh, I wish, I wish. The reality is the litter in my street observed over many, many years, the litter problem reduces during school holidays. Another problem is vermin, rats, mice. Have you noticed uh, rats and mice in your area too? No, we don't get them around my neighbourhood. Yeah, you must have a good na- you must have a good neighbour. But but rats and mice and other vermin are, are they, they uh, because uh, people don't uh, kind of pack their rubbish properly, and you you also get the smell of um, rotting meat and etc etc so people have got to be educated in putting their rubbish in the right uh, containers etc etc one of my pet hates are the people who throw their uh, baby nappies out on the road and if you've ever picked up a a disposable nappy that's had rain in it it's not much fun at all (laughs) yeah to go with that too i don't know if you've picked up any but used condoms (laughs) i don't know if you've picked them up too no It's hard sometimes to recall how it used to be. In childhood, wherever that was, how was a rubbish collection organised in the place you lived? Well, one of the things I think that's different is that uh, we're getting drink in containers that are not glass. So in the old days, we had glass containers for pretty much all, all liquid, and it all went through a uh, redemption system of, you know, you take it in, you get three cents back at the dairy for returning it. So those systems are, have been lost to us as a community of getting effectively uh, money back for returning your waste product back to wherever it came from. And that's one of the very disappointing things about what central government could do, I guess, to significantly reduce the issue of litter in the environment. Do you think the problem started when the powers that be, whoever decided that, let's get rid of them, um, the glass milk bottles and we'll go, go to plastics? I think um, that, was, that, was, that was the start of all the problems. We got rid of the glass milk bottles. Yep, that's certainly, you could probably see that as part of the timeline. That was when we started using, you know, containers that were one-use containers, and that's been, you know, a a steady decline since then. Yeah, also, the message is out there from when you walk into a shopping centre like the warehouse and they say, oh, we got rid of the plastic bags at the counter. Uh, (laughs) Did they? I've never seen plastic bags as being part of the problem. It's not what I see in the environment. And, um, you know, I've got a a clear recollection many years ago. I was in the Bay of Islands uh, boating and we walked up onto a beautiful beach and there was a a polystyrene box there that was starting to break up. The polystyrene does not break down in the environment. It it breaks down into little little lumps that, you know, all sorts of fish life and 
think of something to eat and they invariably eat it. And it's that sort of environment where, uh, that sort of situation where the litter is getting way out to sea and, and within the sea creatures and spoiling our beaches and all sorts of other places. And we just have yep. to take ownership of that. You, you've seen the pictures like I have of those poor dolphins who get caught up in, in those things they put around beer cans that are in the sea. And you've seen those pictures, haven't you? Uh, we see those pictures, but we've also got to listen to, you know, the biologists and expert scientists who are dissecting animals and coming back and telling us that they're full of plastics. You know, that's, that's chronically bad. What's stopping us from adopting a Singapore policy where every little bit of litter should be properly contained? And if a person is identified as creating that as litter, quite a serious uh, Offence. Yes, I, I, I wouldn't want to go that far, I don't think, but certainly we need to take personal responsibility for what we do. Yeah, of course, uh, at, at the time, um, long hair was also banned in Singapore too, and I, I don't know if it's banned in Singapore at the moment, but uh, Lee Kuan Yew was the guy who was in charge at the time, and uh, he, found a, he found a fan in uh, our own Winston Peters, and I remember Winston Peters telling us... Uh, at Lee Kuan Yew was the best leader in the world sometimes, but yeah, he did. He banned long hair in Singapore. He ruled with an iron fist. I don't know we got much against long hair, have we? No, no, and I had long hair in those days, and yeah. I never wanted to travel to Singapore, so that was fine yeah. by me. <laughs> yeah, no, of course the Philippines at around that time too, um, well, the Beatles got assaulted too in Singapore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Mel de Margos took... took um, took exception that the Beatles refused to play for her, so she got her thugs out to assault them. So that's another story. But Getting back come, to rubbish. Coming back to... <laughs> yeah, coming, we're, we're talking a lot of rubbish this morning, in a, in a, in a good way. But uh, you, your, your origins, Arthur, were you born in Hamilton? No, not at all. No, no. I was, uh, never really lived in the area I was born. Born near Pukekohe, but I've never really lived there for any length of so time. So you lived in potato country... Uh, not really, no. <laughs> I remember that the rubbish collections used to be open to the air and very strong men, they were all men, without the aid of machinery, shouldered the rubbish, cursing the householders whose <laughs> rubbish wasn't packaged strongly enough that it didn't um, pour out the bottom, and they used to throw it with great accuracy. Considerable height they had to attain in order that it would drop into position among all the already collected rubbish. Mm. I think we've got very good uh, rubbish collection systems. That's not really the issue. The issue is getting people to put their litter in the rubbish bin in the first place. In the correct categories? categories? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are certainly issues around recycling, but quite frankly, as long as it's not a getting in the environment, then that's the first step. Have you got too many containers to put the rubbish out in? Because you, I think you've got about three or four of them that you've got to put your, you've got to put your rubbish in one, the other stuff in the other, and, and it goes on and on. Do we think we've got too many containers to put out to the rubbish? I don't think. I think the really the issue uh, is that there are just too many people who don't think about where it goes in the environment. They just toss it out the car window or drop it on the pavement as they walk along and just don't care about where it goes. In Hamilton, don't know if it's a practice uh, elsewhere, we saw appear the silver fish, the impression of such. 
and that was on the adjacent to the downpipes from the streets leading water away. That was a reminder to us, but maybe it's lost its effect. Yeah, certainly that was a, a small step back in the good old days, if you like. Um, I can recall that being initiated and being implemented. It has its place, and I think it's still done. One of the reality is I think our local councillors really need to own this problem and get some budget wrapped around the issue and get people... Uh, to provide awareness, we need somebody within the council staff who has responsibility for community engagement on the matter. We have um, a need for, you know, organisation of community groups to do rubbish pickups. We need uh, communication and ongoing publicity about the problem and, and the fact that we're putting it in the river. That's the reality. If you drop it on the street, this heavy rainfall that we're having now just washes it straight into the river. And if we care about the river, then we've just got to stop doing that. Another problem too is our trees. Some of our trees, I'll, I look at Tristram Street, when when, it, when the leaves come down on Tristram Street, that starts causing issues. All those leaves go into the uh, go into the system, etc., etc. So that must happen all, all around uh, Hamilton East, Hamilton West, etc., etc. Yeah, certainly uh, tree debris is an issue, um, but quite frankly it it's, does break down in the environment. It's the plastics that don't. Yep. One of the things that I've done in my retirement is that I've taken up rowing and I, I see quite a lot of the river itself and different uh, waterways and lakes and things. And one of the things I did uh, quite recently was that I went down to Oheniwai and rowed back from Oheniwai to Huntley. And um, I was really quite just taken aback. There was some large floating islands of tree debris and in amongst it, it was glistening with tin cans and bottles shining in the, in the sunlight. And it really was an abhorrent mess of uh, street pollution catching up in what probably would be fairly natural, just uh, tree debris and things like that. Yeah, I, 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 I see that all over the place. When they, when they have an event say, in Garden Place where they've got the stage there and you leave the area and there's cans and bottles all over the place and uh, and you've got to wait till late at night before uh, the guys come into town to pick it all up. So, yeah, we're, we're a bunch of wasters. So long as it's picked up before it gets swept into the stormwater drains, yep. it's not really a problem, Bruce. Yeah. Have you ever approached someone in the act, in the act of causing needless litter, I did it on a few occasions. I've seen red at some school children walking past and they'd casually drop something that they'd finished, either a drink container or a lolly paper, and I'd pick it up and I'd run after them and say, look, sorry, you dropped this. You know, you just get abused um, for it. Oh, so, so you, you, you got the four-letter the expletive, did you? Yeah, get all that. <laughs> but do, do, do you ring the... Do you ring the uh, the council on this area because one of our normal um, contributors is also into saving the environment. Um, he'll be here later. But do you do you ring the council and say this and that to them about the rubbish, or do you just they, they just fob you off? Uh, certainly, um, if there's something major like a rubbish bag dumped somewhere, I can recall uh, people sometimes dump rubbish bags off the bridges thinking that they fall in the water and in actual fact they just fall generally <laughs> on the ground underneath the bridge 
But uh, so those sorts of things, the council is usually pretty good at clearing up. Yep. That's the litter that's really yep. the issue. And, yep. um, you know, I've lobbied the council on numerous occasions through annual plan submissions, uh, long-term planning submissions, trying to get the councillors on board to fund or take some interest in this problem and to actually put some budget behind it. But yep. that's really where my frustration has been. And there's just lack of ownership by our, our elected representatives, just simply not getting on board and recognising that they can actually do something. Well, it's election year, of course. Maybe we'll have... Uh Maybe we'll get on to go to these election meetings and um, kind of confront the member for Hamilton West and whoever's going to be the member for Hamilton East and get on get on their backs about it too. Yeah, but they provide a, a, a process via submissions to the annual plan where you're supposed to be able to get them to take take interest in these things. And I've done that on at least half a dozen occasions and not got anywhere with yeah. them. So I don't suspect that in any way that an election year is going to make any difference. And it's not only the Hamilton Council, Environment Waikato, Waipa District Council and whoever runs uh, the councils through Huntley, through the Greater Waikato King Country. Yeah, uh, they all have a part. Certainly every local authority has to step up to it. Uh, Hamilton's in a, a special problem area in that it all stormwater feeds into the river and we're sending stuff down the river. It gets caught up on the banks and it goes out to sea. Other cities, uh, Taronga uh, has a similar problem. Uh, what I've observed in Taronga is that they actually do far more frequent street cleaning than I observe in Hamilton. Well, one way or another, we need to keep our country clean and our rivers. That's for the benefit of everyone who follows. It's just having the will to somehow influence others. Yeah, and you've taken the lead in that. Thank you, Arthur Giffney. Yeah, another thing too, we don't want the Waikato River looking like the River Thames in London, which has been an open sewer for time immemorial so we don't want the wake of the river looking like that either Arthur thank you for your time and keep up the keep it keep it up and uh, hopefully you'll get somewhere someone will listen to you thanks for the opportunity guys um, it really does need to be aired somebody needs to pick up the problem thank you very much at free FM 89.0 and we'll just uh, line some music up for you and hopefully we'll get something like this
FM 89.0 independent community media walk right in the rooftop singers just a news story that I've just found in one of the Sunday papers remember please remember the uh, December 17 last year machete attack on a Hamilton shopkeeper which the victim lost two fingers well a 19 year old man was due to appear in the Palmerston North District Court yesterday on charges including wounding with intent to cause grievous bodily harm. So they have arrested a 19-year-old and he was due to appear in Palmerston District Court yesterday. Yeah, that was a sad case at the end of last year, Mel. Yes, it was. Moving on, our next guest, Mel. Priscilla Tarrant spends her life looking for truth ever since her childhood close to nature opened her eyes to the beauty of creation surrounding their king country, Turanga Waiwai. Priscilla. Welcome. Oh, good, good morning. <laughs> um, oh, it's good afternoon. Oh, who cares? It's, it's <laughs> getting a bit confused. No, no, um, it's, it's the weather. Yeah. Hello, Mel, and, and hello, Bruce. Thank you for um, having me on the show. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure. Mel's going to ask him, you some questions. Growing up... Home for you was where? Um, I grew up south of Pupin and um, grew up on a, um, a rural mixed farm. Dad was a horse trainer and dog trainer and, you know, um, sheep and cattle were secondary, really. Yeah, so um, that's where I grew up. That's the area. An idyllic country life. Yeah, we... You know, those that was in the early 50s, um, through the 50s into the 60s. You know, we swam in clean rivers and dams and quarries. Dad was really adventurous. He would take us out to all the old orchards. Um, you know, we would be galloping horses. And uh, I, I had a, sh- a flock of sheep, uh, sorry, flock of goats. And... Um, so used to shepherd them around and, and we, we had the beautiful native bush as our playground. Had your parents a similar background, Priscilla? Pardon? Had your parents grown up with a similar background? Yeah, well, well, that was... Dad bought the farm off Grandad, so um, he'd been there all of his life. Um, yeah, he was born there. And, and Mum grew up in Aria, which is um, over the other side of Pew Pew southeast of Pew Pew and so she had a uh, she grew up on horseback as well and um, yeah so we I grew up in a rural New Zealand um, you know environment. Did your father go to war? Um, yeah he he served four years in the Second World War in uh, North Africa in Crete and um, that he that's why he he loved he loved the um native bush that we had on the farm so that was kind of his solace when he was away at the war and um yeah yeah he was a soldier in the second world war so was it from them that you became aware first of other cultures well my mum she she was um, she spoke fluent Swiss. Her parents were from Switzerland, and um, so they, they, when they came to New Zealand, they opened a, started a butchery business with, um, and with their own, you know, stock and slaughterhouse and small goods. So Mum grew up 
you know, in in the Aria district. Um, and um, Do in this case, English was her second language. Do you remember the stories that your parents told? Um, yeah, well, you know, my father, he he spoke, uh, he had a lot to do with the Maori people of the King Country and um, he spoke a, spatter, a smattering of, of Maori language and sang their songs. He, he designed a home with a dirt floor, although he never built it, but... Um, you know, he considered the local Maori chiefs of the Pupu district his close friends. They they had a, there was a lot of respect between them, and and likewise, you know, in my mum's family in Aria, you know, she had a lot to do with the Maori people because everybody came to the butcher shop, and uh, you know, her family was very productive. They had a home market garden as well as the butchery business and mum was the local milkmaid they they hand milked milk and sold it in the village and so a lot of people came to the butcher shop for support because like during the depression in the 1930s and that so they, they her family was uh, a family that you know um, supported people no matter what their culture was and you mentioned your father he, in the late 1950s, was encouraging you to make contact with other cultures. Yeah, I, I always remember this time. Dad came home. Um, he'd been to the RSA or the local pub. And um, he, he brought a list of family names. He'd met this Hong Kong Chinese man. And he said, now I want you to all choose one of this man's children or siblings and write to them. So... I duly, that was in the time of writing to pen pals, so I, um, I, I chose one that was my age and we had a long pen friendship. So, you know, growing up, we, we didn't discriminate uh, about other people's cultures. In fact, we, we welcomed the diversity of, of, of other people. When did your own thirst of knowledge about their lives surface? Um, well, you know, like I, I sort of grew up, I, I grew up thirsting for knowledge because, and I think one of the main major reasons was that when my dad came back from the Second World War, he had uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And... Um, going to the RSA, which was where all the soldiers went because they bonded, you know, they had their stories to tell each other and they knew where each other was coming from. Um, so alcohol and post-traumatic stress disorder don't mix. And so we sort of um, bore the brunt of the, the rough end of the stick when it came to how alcohol can destroy families. You're hinting. Although our family stayed together um, due in a lot to my mum because she was a peacemaker. Um, so I sort of, uh, it affected me that I wanted to know what was the cause of war? Why do cultures come to hate each other? You know, what, where was, what was the meaning of a spiritual life? Where was justice? Um, why the inequality of women you know because I thought of my mother and everything that she did to help keep the peace you know um, 
you know, these were just some of my questions, and so I was always on a quest to find out there must be something better, you know, there must be, you know, why all this, the, the, this war, you know, why, 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 why? <laughs> were you one to carry on at school or keen to get out and about um, in the real world? I didn't do very good at school, I think because I, I loved to run around the hills and in the bush and um, I wasn't really academic um, and so at school and because I had a troubled sort of mind about uh, my father's PTSD and uh, I, I couldn't really settle, you know, I, I, I couldn't, uh, yeah. So I left school early, I um, um, found work straight away um, and then in the 70s I went to Australia and with my sister and we, we travelled around the outbacks of Australia and, and finally uh, went to Darwin and, and worked there and then down to Sydney and worked there. Returned to New Zealand, started nursing and then I went back to the Australian outbacks again. That's um, an outback. It, it attracted you? Yeah, well, I, I, I kind of love the wildlife, you know, because I, I probably, because I grew up running around the hills and looking out at the mountains far off. And so the outbacks to me was great open spaces and there was interesting animals and reptiles. And, um, you know, I, I had a little box camera, you know, I used to take photos and, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I loved the Australian outbacks. What's their work there? Well, I worked in the shearing industry. Um, my One of my cousins up north, he had a shearing contracting business and I'd worked for him up, up in the Northland here. And then a lot of the, the, the shearing, you know, the, the workers were going over to Australia. So I just followed them as you did, you know. And so, yeah, I spent quite a bit of time working in the shearing industry around the outbacks of Australia. So that was... Mainly, I went there so that I could earn money to go further to Africa and then on to England. We'll let you gather your thoughts at the moment and play a song that was popular in the 30s. Oh, yeah. It's called Remembrance. This is Girl Dish. You remember the, remember this? I'll have... I'll listen. There we go. It was a popular record played on all those request shows. It's 130 mil. So along that route, searching out the shearing opportunities, you were bound to encounter people of many faiths. Did that influence you? Um, well, again, you know, I first heard the word black when I went to Australia and I thought, what on earth is that? You know, what does that mean, black? You know, I just... Um, couldn't figure it out and uh, then I remember when I landed in South Africa I went to get on a black bus and uh, someone said oh you can't get on this bus. Uh, you um, mean the colour of your skin? Yeah yeah that's right and um, and I thought oh my god you know and of course in Australia I um, met a lot of Aboriginal people and saw a lot of different things that were not so good and uh, yeah, that sort of added to my my quest 
to find answers, you know, as to why we, um, you know, have this racial prejudice going on. And it's still going on today in 2023 in Australia. Absolutely, and around the world. So, um, yeah, so for me, I, I, in 1984, when I landed back in New Zealand um, after going overseas, um, I, I found the, um, I found the Baha'i faith and, and that, um, that sort of the main, um, or the, the, the main sentiment was the well-being of mankind, its peace and security are unattainable unless and until its unity is firmly established. And I thought, wow, that's, I like the sound of that, you know, and um, so I, yeah, I, I found a lot of answers to my questions um, in, in the writings of Baha'u'llah. Yeah, and, and of course, our mutual friend, Gail, whom Mel and I both know, we've, we've learned a lot through Gail through the Baha'i faith, through, yeah. through non, non-believers. <laughs> no, she um, she does a great job uh, on on community radio. Um, yeah, Gail is, is very good at what she does with radio. There was a nine day peace expo. Tell us about yes. that. Yes, um, that was interesting. That was back in about 1986. I'd um, just finished a shearing season um, in South Australia, up in Lucendale, heading towards Cooper PD, those places. And uh, I knew that there was a nine-day expo going on at the Sydney Baha'i Temple. So before returning to New Zealand, I went to this expo and it was absolutely amazing. People had, um, and children and schools had made all these flags from all these different countries and they had them from the temple all the way down to the ocean. And it must have been about five kilometres or something. So... And this expo was attended by people of so many different races. There was just a real diversity of cultures. It, it, it was what I'd been looking for, you know. It was, I thought, this is the world that I want to live in, you know. This is the world where I want to live in, where, where all people come together and respect each other's cultures, you know, love the diversity of, of you know, colour and... Uh, you know, so yeah, that was a that was a an exceptional time. You said, Priscilla, that you didn't think you were so good academically, but you did study. Yeah, well, after I'd sort of um, I I found the principles of the Baha'i Faith, and um, one of them was, you know, the abolition of, you know, you don't drink alcohol. And, um, of course, up until I'd found the principles of the Baha'i Faith, I was like a lot of people in New Zealand. I, I was in the drinking culture, and it never did me any good. So giving that up and, and redirecting my, my mind, uh, my brain, um, I started educating myself. So I, I educated myself through horticulture and teaching English, computers, and... Um, yeah, so I, I, I started learning. But you never lost that lust for travel? No, well, actually, it was interesting because when I was uh, studying at Wintech down in the gardens, um, 
studying horticultural garden design and stuff, um, there was a uh, one of the classrooms was dedicated to Riwi Ali, who was a New Zealander mm-hmm. who um, went to China in the 1920s after the Second a uh, First World War, and he. Um, he stayed there for 60 years and he, he helped the Chinese people and he set, up, he set up a school in northern China and helped this small township of Shandan near the Gobi Desert. He helped to, um, you know, get it up and running with a coal mine and, um, you know, a paper factory and a school and a museum and he introduced the electric light bulb to the area and also helped him out during um, the Japanese invasion at that time Um, and so I for some reason somebody rang me and said would you like to go and teach English at the uh, Riwi Ali school in northern China and it just came out of the blue you know and I and I just finished my studies and I said yeah Let's do that. I'll do it. You know, I hadn't been a teacher, but uh, but I thought I can do that. You know, I've after all, you'd been corresponding with someone for a long yeah. time. Well, that was interesting too because I'd sort of lost contact with that um, with that pen pal, and when I went through um, Hong Kong, I had to stay there a few days before I got a connecting flight, and the friends that I stayed with in Hong Kong, I found out that my pen pal's family lived next door. Amazing <laughs> coincidences so like that. I was able to reconnect. She'd by now gone to Australia, and, and uh, so I reconnected with her. And that, So that was amazing too, you know, was all these things seemed to fall into place. So what do you do now, Priscilla? Well, I, um, I did take up teaching English as a second language for about five or seven years and then went into the organic uh, fruit and veg, um, you know, assisted to run a a fruit and veg shop, organic. And now I work assisting elders to live in their own homes. And um, it's wonderful because I've met so many people, so many people early, you know, people that have worked their lives, worked throughout their lives in New Zealand, and, um, you know, even one of them, a 97-year-old man, he, he'd actually worked with my great-uncle Louis, who came out from Switzerland, who I never knew, but always, you know, wondered, you know, what he was like. And so I've met so many <coughs> wonderful people, elderly people, who are just genuine, you know, New Zealanders, and it's really wonderful. Yeah. And you and me know that... There's nothing better than a stubborn elderly person who doesn't want to leave their home and their, <laughs> their, their family want them to be put in a home and then forgotten. Well, that can happen, you know, for various reasons. And that, that's why I love my work because, um, you know, I can go around and just make a difference. You know, I can just, um, you know, keep an eye on things and then I go to the next person's place and keep an eye on them. And <laughs> hey, you, you've been doing that job for a long, long time, Priscilla. Yeah, I've been doing that now probably for about 12 years or 12 years plus. And, um, 
Yeah, yeah, I really, I really enjoy it. I my hours are reduced now. I, I want to do other creative things, um, but right. um, I still keep my hand in. Um, yeah, working with hey, 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 like your garden, you've. You won't be out in the garden this day because it's not very nice out there. No, I, I don't mind a bit of rain because it, you know, it just waters everything, and I don't have to go out and water things. <laughs> <laughs> Priscilla Tarrant, thanks oh. for outlining your vast experience of life. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Have a good day, Priscilla. Okay, thank you, Mel. Thank you, Bruce. Bye-bye. Bye. Kia ora. It is 21 to 2. We'll talk to Dwayne shortly. Trevor's coming in. He's going to blow in here very, very shortly. Sailors, stop your roaming. Independent community media. Our own Patsy Rigger had a big hit with that in the 80s, Sailor. It is German origin called Seaman, and that's Petula Clark who's still performing in her mid 90s. She is still around, Mel. 
And um, just, just a note here, Mel, did you have anything to do with Titifai Haruru who died this week? It is this sad case that one of our great um, Maori leaders has uh, passed on this week. Our next guest, Mel. About a year ago, we spoke to Jim Dugan. He'd gone. Yes, I remember you told us, uh, Jim, you, you went to your old school. Have a look, you know, back in Levin where your family lived. It was gone. The school had gone. And, and the story gets worse, would you believe, because there was a tornado that went through there about two months ago um, and it ripped the fence. It, it, actually, the, the whole school's gone and it's turned into a playground and now there's trees falling over and fences ripped out and uh, where my mother used to live, it went. The, the roof came off that place. That's got a new roof. <laughs> so nothing tra- stays the same, does it? How old, how old was your old school? Uh it was, it was the first school um, in Levin, and Levin developed around the railway, which uh, came from Wellington. Um, and so, uh, I, I, 1870s, something like that. When we were talking then, you were concerned about the AGM coming up of the Waikato Good Companions. You were the president still. I, I am beyond belief. Yes, I am still the president. And Diana there, and assisting you as she always did. I'm wondering if you have the same problem arising this year, this time around, as you were concerned might be the case of last year. Ah, well, an update. Uh, yeah, well, the update is that I belong to the club for about 17 years. Out of those 17 years, I've been president for nine, and I sort of. I believe that I've done my bit, Mel, and I've indicated, put it out there, that this will be my last year as president, non-negotiable. Oh, well, we can't talk you around that. Oh, well, no, no, but... It, um, and people think it's my club. No, 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 it's not. It's not my club. No club is. It's, it's our club. It belongs to the members. And... Um, Sadly, if the people don't step forward uh, when our AGM comes up in June, that could be the demise of the club. Now, we have plenty of funds so we can keep on going, but what we need is people who are step forward and go on the committee. Um, and I hesitate to say, yes, we need a president and, and vice president, but that frightens people off. You but won't have anything to do, Jim. <laughs> uh, yes, I will. I, um, yes. I, w- we have a motorhome that we've been restricted into going away between dances. And we were lucky because um, at, at, Hamilton was locked down in, in stage three COVID at the end of... 2021 and uh, suddenly it went down to stage two so we took our opportunity and scarpered within three days we were in the South Island and and we stayed there for six weeks and we had a glorious time and what it did was opened up the 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 avenue of actually what we're missing out on um, because I don't know how your holidays go Mel but 
the first week I'm thinking about, oh, um, I, I hope the tomatoes don't die, I hope the cucumbers are growing and, 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 and all this sort of thing. The second week you've forgotten all about that, you just enjoy yourself and, and, and however long away, the last week you're thinking, oh, uh, is the cattle right, you know? <laughs> I think you're echoing the thoughts of a lot of people who are on holiday at the moment. Yeah. Locked up in your camper van as you was as you fled COVID, you didn't get it yourself? Were you one of the lucky ones? Um, we, we, we both got COVID last May and, and um, as is it Professor Baker, he said, we're all going to get it one way or the other eventually and, and yes, we will. Mm. Um, and, and, but, and you read the horror stories about people who are, who are um, vulnerable and, and I look at my age and I'm uh, in, in, in brackets vulnerable um, but we I we were actually down in New Plymouth when the symptoms came out and, and Dinah said oh you, you had a sniffle yesterday and we've got a dance coming up this Saturday you better test yourself so on Monday I tested myself and Dinah, who's an ex-nurse she said oh yes she says you, you've got you've got two red lines so and I said, oh, yeah, ho, 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 good joke. So, oh, yes, yeah, look, 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 two red lines, that means you've got it. So uh, no dancing for you, Jim? Uh, uh, no, not for that. <laughs> not for that. And being, being of a generous nature, I promptly gave it to Diana about three days later, <laughs> as you do, you know. Um, but but uh, uh, what, what was it? It was like a heavy cold for me. So, and, and, as, and Diana as well. So we were some of the lucky ones. And, and also for us, it answered the question, how will COVID affect us? And it wasn't a big deal. And now that's not to say that the next one is going to be worse, but for us it was it was a relief that we. I felt like having a plaque on my shirt. I have survived COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Joe, it comes down to having the freedom for you and Diana to take your motorhome, drive away without worrying about unlocking the the entrance to the next uh, dance and all, all the things that go on in the background to have the supper ready and all those things. Well, there is that, and that's, that's the nuts and bolts of, um, of belonging to a club, that there's, there's 50 things you need to do and you tick it off as you do them all, and, and hopefully you do um, 10 of them and somebody else does 20 and somebody else does 5 and somebody else does... Shared around. Yeah, shared around, yes. Yeah. Well, well, to give a nutshell description... Job description, who should be the sort of person who comes forward, and what is actually the good companions about? Well, in any communication, in any anything that you put yourself forward to, there's a learning process. But um, I was on the committee for one year. The next year, I was president, and that and, and I, that was a pretty steep learning curve, actually, for two years. Um, but I was helped by those by those the predecessors who helped me into the job. Once you once you've got it, 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 you know what to do. You just get on and do it. You're hoping for volunteers. Should they contact you? 
They can contact me. Um, the Waikato Good Companions Social Club is in the free paper. We announce our dance every month. Um, they can contact me, 027 532 5691. Um, uh, we are Waikato Good Companions Social Club, but in fact, we are a dancing group. We do social, um, old time ballroom, sequence dancing. And that's what we do. When's the next dance? The next dance? You've just missed it, Mel. It was last night. <laughs> oh, look, hang on. Yeah, yeah, mid-30s. Um, uh, and we, we, we used to have 120, but, but people just, you know, they have other things to do. Um, and we, we offer a service. Whether people come is actually up to them at the end of the day. Well, Jim... And Diana, thank you for coming along. And we hope that come the annual general meeting, you'll get a good attendance. And someone there will luckily land the president's job. We we could be inundated, couldn't we? You could be. And, and of course, I'm I'm thinking somebody's got to be there to prepare the suppers. (laughs) Someone's got to be out the back doing the suppers. Anyway, the BBC used to have a dancing series called Come Dancing back in the 60s. This is is the Norrie Paramore Orchestra. away from two. Dwayne is here to talk to us and hopefully Trevor will be in here with us too very, very shortly. Got a bit of a memory coming up for you from our television past to bring Trevor in. Hello, Dwayne. Yeah, good afternoon. You told me earlier when we were talking off air there was another ram raid out of Chartwell Square. Um, yes, there was last night. Mm-hmm. Um, they drove through the moor, um, damaged all the Glass, the window frames, and everything. Um, they abandoned the car inside the building, and then they took off. Kids? Um, yes, please. Um, see, there were kids, and um, sounds like they might have jumped into another vehicle and fled that one away. Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking that this was planned. It wasn't, wasn't the kids. It was planned by some adults. Um, I'm not sure at the moment what actually happened, but um, yeah, so um, yeah, so that one actually happened, and then uh, on top of that, there was a um, a robbery as well. On top of that one as well. It yeah yeah going out doing robbing stores in the middle of a of a wet night. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, but these kids can plan this. They had to get the vehicles, and having a vehicle waiting outside to take them away, these kids wouldn't have licences. <laughs> Come on. No, they didn't. And um, like this morning, police found three stolen 
motor vehicles in the end about uh, an hour later there was one stolen from Waikato Hospital within 45 minutes yeah, the police are going to be busy on this old wet old Sunday afternoon. Thanks uh, for bringing us up to date. And, of course, as I said earlier, that man who chopped off the fingers of that uh, shopkeeper here in Hamilton as was due to appear in court yesterday with the, the man with the machete. So he was in court yesterday. Hopefully he's locked up tight in a police willow prison cell somewhere. Six minutes to two, stand by. We're going to speak to Trevor next, but here's a memory for you. They say I might as well face the truth But I am just too long in the tooth So I'm an OAB and weak need But I'm not yet quite gone to see I may be over the hill now that I have retired Fading away but I'm not yet expired Clapped out, run down, too old to save One foot in the grave It's a quarter to eight. Are you going to look lively in a minute? Five eight three double two. Speaking. Yes. Oh yes. Hello. Unbelievable. Was it my imagination, or have they just started building the world's biggest subatomic particle accelerator to explain the very origins of the known universe? Strange, then, that they still can't produce a toilet roll where the perforations are in the same bloody place on either side of the... Old misery guts there from the television series One Foot in the Grave. The Scottish actors Richard Wilson and Annette Crosby. Good afternoon, Trevor. Oh, good afternoon. On another wet day. Yeah, you'd remember the TV series One Foot in the Grave. I old, do, yeah. Old misery guts there. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's quite a good comedy, that yeah. was. yeah. Yeah, no, no, the weather is packed up for the day. Yeah, so uh, uh, Belton John's concert was completely cancelled, among other things in Auckland. And I was just wondering if emergency action had been taken earlier than what it had been taken, would there be the disasters that has happened? I, early in the day, if you weren't uh, listening, or if you were listening, I said that the actions of the mayor was, uh, was about pathetic. He should have been on it early in the day. I don't know why they elected this man as mayor. Well, uh, that's right, because I was watching uh, and I'm talking on TV about it yesterday, and he was very flustered. He was looking from left to right, and when he's uh, standing back, he's, and uh, it sounds like a, 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 a cornered... Possum. Yeah, because he had, I saw the pictures because he had the Prime Minister with him, he had a couple of Cabinet Ministers, he he was caught out with his pants down. Yeah, he looked, looked very guilty actually, this is a case of uh, Nero again I suppose, when Rome burned. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, no, um, the, warning, the warnings is out there this afternoon, I, the weather's going to be nasty for most of the afternoon, it's... it's yeah, we've been warned that we're going to get some of this heavy weather down this way. So, um, I hope you've I hope you've got some your paints out and you go painting this afternoon. Oh well, I've just done some the other day, but I was thinking about about about, about Auckland and that. Uh, what they should have done had a map shown colour coding the areas that are badly affected because people that have family or friends and whatnot in Auckland. Probably not known whether the area is affected. Well, uh, 
did I read right that three people died or one? Yeah, that's right, three did. That's and, one, right. and one is missing. So yeah. And I, I, I look at Henderson and the the faces of the people there, their oh, houses, their yeah. garages. They lost and, everything. And the pathetic action of Amir. There's there's gotta be more out of this. I I I, I reckon there's gotta be a lot of anger starting today and into next week. Oh, I think so. And I'd be interested to see what's on the news yeah. tonight. I'm sure they've got a big downpour in Auckland today yep. as yep. well. Yep. Poor old Elton John, his last tour ever. Yeah, I wish he could come back. But, hey, let's let's keep him. He's happy in retirement, got family, and he's got his partner, etc., etc. Hey, thank you, Trevor. And I'm, I'm just thinking, what would have we had that flooding here in Hamilton? What would be the reaction of our own Mayor, Paula Southgate? Yeah, mine boggles. <laughs> it does boggle. Hey, we'll catch you next week when it's a fine, sunny afternoon. Uh, in our dreams. And <laughs> <laughs> well, that is us for this Sunday afternoon. Look after yourselves. If you have to go out, just be careful on the roads. The roads are wet. And if you don't have to go out, just stay at home. Because... Because this weather's going to get nasty for the rest of the day. We'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.